I, I was told that there's a testimony from Chari. Then this morning he said it's Karun. So now I know the story. Okay, now I know the story. Well, um, let me now in, invite uh, our elder Vincent to come and, and share his heart with us about, about Easter. You know, his day job is a banker in the, in the BS, but he worked so hard in this church, I'm surprised they did not sack him. But anyway, today he's uh, sharing with us, and uh, let's just welcome him. Thank you, thank you, um, Kokfai, very much. And uh, the last I checked, yeah, I'm still with DES. <laughs> I really want to thank and welcome all today, especially those who are here with us for the first time. Now, especially for our guests who are here, I do not know the nature of your invitation, how you were invited, whether the friend who brought you, enticed you, ambushed you, threatened you, emotionally blackmail you to come. But let me assure you, the intentions of your friends who invited you are pure. They are not given any commission for bringing you here. But seriously, we are very excited about your presence and I am uh, responsible to just share uh, some thoughts with you about Easter uh, from now until lunchtime. So we have a lot of time. Uh, and certainly, we hope that this is not your first time with us. We hope that you will return and um, not make this your first or last time. You know, Easter is the most pivotal event, the most important event that underpins the Christian faith. You know, from Good Friday, two days ago, where we remember the death of Jesus to Easter Sunday today, where Jesus rose from the dead as we believe. It is the most amazing weekend in Christian, and I dare say in world history, because one of the darkest moments turned to light during this weekend. It was a turning point in the lives of many, including mine. You know, Christmas, many people don't have a problem with, because Christmas commemorates the birth of Jesus. And everybody I know loves Christmas because uh, it is not controversial. Everybody gets gifts. They eat a lot. So Christmas is usually a good time. Uh, Easter is a lot trickier. Easter is a lot more controversial because it relates not to a human birth that we are all very comfortable with. Easter relates to someone rising from the dead. It relates to Jesus rising from the dead. Now, that is a pretty unusual occurrence, to say the least. You know, but Jesus rising from the dead is such a deal breaker for our faith. It is so much of a make or break for the Christian faith that the Bible we believe in tells us this. If you can help me with the next slide. It says this in our Bible, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, fruitless. You are still in your sins. We are of all people most to be pitied. Now I want you to take a look at your friend who invited you today 
If you turn around and take a look at him, see if he or she is of all people the most to be pitied. Because that is what is at stake uh, if Easter, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. Now Bertrand Russell, some of you, I think a lot of you know, is uh, quite a famous atheist, a person who does not believe in, in, in the presence of a God. And once he was asked by someone, Bertrand, what if you died and discovered that you are wrong? What if you discovered that there indeed was a God and God confronted you, why didn't you believe in me? He famously said these words. He replied, it will be God's fault because he would tell God, not enough evidence, God. Not enough evidence. Now, is that true? I was reading this book, um, Is God an Illusion? The title of the book is, Is God an Illusion? And there are two renowned people. Now, there was a physician, a doctor called Deepak Chopra. And there was another person, a scientist called Leonard Lodino. He is a physicist. And they were debating the existence of God. Both, by the way, are not Christians. Leonard, the physicist, believes that science proves that there is no God. But Deepak believes there is a spiritual side. Okay? He believes there's a spiritual side. He doesn't go so far as to say there's a God, but he believes, hey, it cannot be just like this, what I see. I believe there is more on the spiritual side. And one of their interesting debates, every time people debate these things, you know, they can't run away from this thing called the origin of life. How did life come about? Where the theory of evolution will always come up. Where it basically means that the person who believes uh, in the absence of God believes that we came about largely because of a random series of accidents. A random series of events, unplanned, accidental, and that led to life. Right? That was... Uh, and Deepak who kind of was against this idea and believed that, hey, there must be more, he raised this very famous illustration, uh, which is called the infinite monkey theorem. Uh, basically, it says that to believe that we came about through a series of accidents is as good as believing a room full of monkeys like this, and you all give them a typewriter, and they will just type and type and type and type for millions of years. And if you put them in that room and let them do this for millions of years, uh, over time, they will type out the complete works of William Shakespeare. Now, somebody did the calculations, not me, you know that bankers cannot count. But somebody did the calculations and found that the chance of these monkeys typing even the first hundred letters of Hamlet, right? Hamlet is one of the plays of Shakespeare, is 1 over 10 to the power of 143, which means that it's 1 divided by 1 and 143 zeros. I mean, it's, it's just a lot now. It's just highly improbable. 
Now, this is not a new theory. If you, if, you, if, you, if you have been debating with people about the origin of life and evolution and all that, this is nothing new. But Deepak's claim is that you can't just believe that we are all here because of random acts, things that were unplanned, accidents. It's not going to happen. In fact, it is more difficult because our DNA, uh, if you ask the scientists, our DNA, our cells, are much more complex than reproducing the literature of Shakespeare. Now, that's when the physicist Leonard comes out and says, Deepak, you totally do not know what you're talking about. You totally do not know what evolution is. He mentions that while it is true that getting monkeys like these to type will unlikely show you any result, he says you forgot another thing about evolution which everybody, every scientist knows. And that is, there is a second step called natural selection. And in the midst of all these accidents, there is a selection process. And to illustrate this as the monkey thing again, it is described as follows. While the monkeys type and type, every time they type a letter in the right place, that word will stay. Okay? So if he types I at the right place, that I will stay. But every time it's a wrong letter, that letter will be erased. And scientists have run this and discovered that, hey, actually when you do this natural selection, when there is a method to this mad typing, when there is an organization to the whole accident, when there is a selection process, hey, the monkeys can type out a complete English sentence quite quickly. The question to this then is, obviously today is not a scientific debate. But the question to this then is, who is organizing these accidents? Who is providing the method to the madness? Who is deciding which letter stays and which letter gets erased? I'm a firm believer that far from science disproving God, I believe that science exactly points us to God. I don't think science and God is mutually exclusive. You know, our Bible says this, what may be known about God is plain to them, to us, because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So it is pretty clear at least to me, that we are too complex to be due to a cosmic accident. So my question today is, why would people rather believe in random monkeys typing Shakespeare than a creator God? Why would they rather believe in accidents than to believe that there is an intelligent designer who made us? You know, Leonard the physicist in the book tells this story. And this is the guy who does not believe in a God. He says, I was a Jew. And when I was growing up in an observant Jewish family, he was very surprised one day when his mom told him, I don't believe in God anymore. He asked her why. And she said, I used to believe, but I cannot reconcile God 
with my experience of losing my family in the Holocaust. She cannot reconcile that there is a God and that she lost her whole family in the Holocaust. So I want to suggest to you today that the issue is not so much that we do not see the hand of an intelligent designer, a creator in creation. But I want to suggest that many do not believe in God today because to believe in God presents many problems that we do not have answers to. Example, how can a good God allow the Holocaust? So some see God as irresponsible. If there is a God, then he is highly irresponsible. Some see him as powerless. He sees, but he cannot do anything about it. Some see him as uncaring. He sees, he can do something about it, but you know what? He doesn't care. Some resent him because he does not do what they want. So I believe Leonard, the physicist, did not believe in God, but is willing to believe that life is a cosmic accident because it helps him to better explain the chaos and confusion that he sees around him. Easier than to believe in a God because, simply put, his view is that a God should deal with all the chaos he sees. You know, I, I want to be very sensitive about this because we, we, I, I certainly don't want to rubbish uh, Leonard or his beliefs. I'm, I'm sharing all this not to bash up evolutionists as well, uh, not to rubbish those who are scientists, not to rubbish those who do not believe in God. Uh, nor am I saying scientists do not believe in God. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, there are very prominent scientists who believe in God. But I'm sharing this as a background as to why the Easter story makes so much sense. How it deals with these issues we struggle with in terms of reconciling a God and then, hey, if there's a God, why is there so much chaos that we see around us? I have three kids. Um, one is 13-year-old, one is 11, one is 6. I love them all the same. My 13-year-old daughter, and I'm a bit sensitive because she's uh, here, uh, my 13-year-old daughter, I thank God, is a very sensible lady, like her mom. And as she has been, as we've been observing her grow, uh, one of the joys is to release to her more and more responsibility. I mean, that's part of life, right? Not just to prepare her for the future when mom and dad are no more around, but also because we are increasingly convinced that one of the most beautiful experiences in life, uh, in human life, is to learn to take charge, is to learn to make wise decisions and then reap the consequences and the results of those decisions. It is one of the most satisfying things in life to start taking personal responsibility and working and contributing and seeing that you make a difference. So we do what we can as... Uh, as, as parents, we try to instill in her good values because she's, she's becoming a teenager and her, and, her, and her wings will get stronger and stronger and we can't make her do what we want for long. Uh, 
So we try to instill in her good values that will help her, like telling her diligence and hard work are good values to have. They are safe values to have. We teach her that honesty is a good policy that lets you have an honest, peaceful, uh, that lets you have a peaceful night's rest. We give her pointers on developing friendships and choosing friends wisely. And, and this is not very different from God's original intent when He created us. It is no surprise because the Bible tells us we were made in God's image. This was, this was the original plan. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may love me? No. So that they may just be robots? No. So that they may rule. So God created mankind in his own image. God blessed them, said to them, be fruitful, increase, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, every living creature that, met, that moves on the ground. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. You know, I seriously believe that God's original intent when he first created man was that a person would derive satisfaction and pleasure from his work and his contribution in life. There was a purposefulness to man's work. God wanted man to take charge and work responsibly and enjoy being fruitful within the boundaries he has set us. God gave man the personal responsibility to choose what is right and to do it. But you know, I chose to walk away. I chose not to respect those boundaries because I trusted more in my own abilities, my own wisdom. Now just imagine my child, um, my daughter, who is maturing. You know, can, as we give her more and more personal responsibility to run her life, if she ignores all our advice about diligence and hard work, if she becomes a loafer, right, which is, which is a person who just uh, a sluggard, uh, she does nothing, she just walks around and, and maybe borrows money from friends and gets into deep trouble, Imagine at that point, if this child turns around to me and says, Dad, it's your fault. You should have prevented this. You know, we can't have it both ways. Either we lock up our daughter and keep her safe from the world and never give her any personal responsibility because if she never gets out of the house, nothing will happen to her. Or, and she becomes, in that sense, a total robot or we release her with personal responsibility and let her grow through that process. You know, as God gave that to us, God is out of my life because I have chosen to walk away. I find his boundaries too restrictive. I find him outdated in his values. I believe there is a better way. But strangely, somehow when there's a blow up in my life, when there's chaos, I turn around to God and say, Hey, if you are real, you would have prevented this. And since you did not prevent this chaos, you must be false. You know the story of my daughter, the illustration I give you would not be complete if it ended with me telling my daughter, I told you so. 
right? I mean, it is, it is a very irresponsible thing to just end there and say, I told you so. You should have listened to me. Besides giving me an ego trip, it doesn't do much. That would have been a more likely scenario if it was your boss talking to you. I told you so. And then it ends there, right? Usually it ends there. But in a father-child relationship, it usually doesn't end there. After the I told you so, there is usually redemption. And that is how the Easter story starts. You know, God the Father did not wag his finger at me and say, I told you so. I was under a mountain of debt due to my personal decisions. I could not repay them on my own. I felt a certain helplessness in the circumstances facing me. In fact, what the Bible says, I totally agree with. At that point, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin. It is fallenness living in me that does it. And that's where Jesus comes in. As a father, God comes along to save me because I was in deep trouble. Imagine I am drowning and my father comes along to the side of the pool and says, Son, you are drowning. Let me teach you how to swim now. I mean, that's, that's a bit absurd. It is crazy to teach someone how to swim when he is drowning. When someone is drowning, he needs a lifeguard. He needs a savior. After you save him, then you teach him how to swim. You don't teach him how to swim while he's drowning because you won't be teaching him for very long. You save him first. And that, that is where, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't wait for us to become better because we could not become better. I could not save myself. I was drowning. And that's why Jesus is referred to as Savior. He came to save me out of the waters I was drowning in. That was Good Friday. That was what happened two days ago. Jesus had to pay the ransom with his life. The cross was for me. The cross was for you. You know, so far we have dealt with a God who designed life. I, I truly believe that if you look at life honestly, you will see God's fingerprints all over it, that there must be a creator. And he created with good intentions. We have also said that I chose to walk away and run my own life. Chaos comes into my life. Curses come into my life. And Jesus comes in to pay the price for the curse because I couldn't pay it myself. There was no way I could help myself. He ransomed me through his death on Good Friday. The reason I'm sharing all this is not just because it is true, but I want to show you that the Easter story is a very logical story. It is not a fairy tale that is hard to believe. It makes a lot of sense. Now the big question, did Jesus rise from the dead? It depends on who you ask. This is the question that confronts us today. It is a make or break question. If you read different literature written by different people, there will be people who say there's strong historical proof that Jesus rose from the dead. But you will find another set of people who will poke holes in all those historical proof and say it can't be true. 
I suppose the question in many people's minds is then, why does not Jesus just appear to everyone? That would solve the whole problem, right? Pretty straightforward. There are some interesting verses I want to show you. And it's stuck now. Can I have the next slide? To attempt to answer that question. Why doesn't Jesus show, us, show, show, show himself to us? Slide 9 from the Bible says, It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And the next slide tells us what faith is. If I can have the next slide, please. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. And the next slide, this is Jesus speaking. He told his disciple called Thomas, because Thomas told him exactly the same thing. I will not believe until I see. And then Jesus shows himself to him and says, Thomas, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. There was a time when my, when my daughter was very young and she required a blood test for dengue fever. Obviously, being very young, she was nervous and scared of the needle. Uh, even I am. And I just held her as they pierced that needle into her little arm. And then she cried and all that. It is a very uh, heartbreaking experience. You know, all I could do was to tell her at her young age to trust me. Because there's no point telling her young mind what is dengue fever and what the blood test is all about. It's just too complex for her to understand at that time. You know, her little mind would not have been able to understand what dengue is, etc., etc. She just had to decide, can daddy be trusted? That was her decision. Can daddy be trusted? Although this is painful and hard to understand, I don't know why this awful lady is poking this thing into my arm. Can I trust daddy? That if he says, stay still, I stay still. Is there evidence that I can place my trust in Daddy. You know, for reasons unknown to us, God has chosen faith to be the medium through which He relates to us. He says, if you want to come to me, it has to be by faith. I don't know why. He doesn't show, it to, show Himself to all of us. But He says, first, you've got to come to me by faith. You know, like my daughter, sometimes we can't fully comprehend why. These are God's ways. But I want to assure you today, it is not my faith. My faith is just believe. I no faith or trust in the relationship. Despite the many actions of love she showed me, I said, not enough. Not enough. Show me more. You show one act of love, I will demand another. Because there was no trust. 
I want to submit to you today that God many acts of love. And the biggest act, besides your birth and the blessings of God in your life, is the thing that happened two days ago, so many years ago, when Jesus died. There is a basis for you to believe. I believe God is encouraging you today to trust Him, to look at His actions of love that He has already shown in your life to place faith in what has been revealed. The evidence of his hand in creation, the evidence of our failure and fallenness, the evidence of Jesus' death to save us. I believe that today, based on these truths, he is asking us to make a judgment call. I say it's a judgment call because many decisions in life, you do not have the, 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 the luxury of 100% knowledge. I've always been studying for my exams. I always dream of the day where I will study so much that I'll be so confident walking to the exam hall. The day never came. I always have to make a judgment call that I think this is enough. And I think you can identify with me that many things, many decisions in life are made on judgment calls. And you just need to deal with the information that you have and make a judgment call. And I believe God today is asking us to make a judgment call. You know, when I wanted to buy a car that I liked three years ago, I did my research on the internet. Actually, research on the internet can be quite a nightmare. But I did my research on the internet, then I went to the showroom to check it out. You know, all after, after I pretty much had the information to make a decision, you know what I did? My last stop was to check with my friends who drive because I trusted what they thought about the car personal testimony. And I so, I, so I want to end with my own personal story of coming to Jesus. I tell it at the end because stories are very subjective. You hear one story, there can be another story. But they are useful when they are used to illustrate and to substantiate hopefully the logical truths I have talked about earlier. I was born into a broken family. My father had two weaknesses, women and gambling. Other than these two things, I must say he was a very kind father. But his actions, womanizing, gambling, brought a lot of grief into my young life and the lives of my sibling and my mom. So much so that when I was nine years old, I was doing research for my mom on how to divorce him. The divorce plan didn't work out <laughs> because we needed the house. But neither did my dad change much. When I was 14, he got into one of these massive quarrels with my mom, one of those big quarrels over small things. And boy, when he got into one of these quarrels, the whole family would enjoy no peace for days. It was one of the worst quarrels I have ever seen, and it was around end December. Because I was a teenager then, I was growing up. One day as he was, as he was screaming his head off, I decided to scream at him something I had never done before. I shouted back at him. That made him hit the roof. He was so upset. Our house had this uh, glass globe, you know, a world. Huh? And he just picked it up and he threw it right at me. The whole world literally came flying at me. <laughs> if I had not avoided it, I would have been quite badly damaged. The action shocked me because I always thought he would only scream at mom. 
he will never hurt me. I got quite depressed and disturbed in my room. I was so depressed that when my cousin invited me to a Christmas event in church, my mom, who was a believer in another religion, told me to go to church with my cousin. That evening, I was so touched by the sincerity of the many people here <clears throat> that I decided to give Jesus a try. I prayed to him and I gave him in my 14-year-old mind, I say, if you are real, you reconcile my mom and my dad by tomorrow morning, which was Christmas Day. If that is true, I will believe in you. It was a stupid request, but I made it anyway since he's God. Strangely, the next morning, my dad had a swollen leg. His leg swelled up, I don't know why, gout or something. And because he could not walk, he had to talk nicely to my mom and all of us to help him out. I was moved then to place my faith in Jesus. That was 1984. Many people will say that what happened, Vincent, was a mere coincidence. You know what? As I place my trust in Jesus, many more coincidences have happened. I do not have time to tell you about them. But two of the most amazing things that happened was both my parents are now Christians, worshipping in this church. And the transformation of my father, if you see him today, please don't tell him I told you all this. <laughs> if you see him today, you cannot believe the description of him I told you about earlier. You may dismiss these as mere coincidences, but I disagree because it's my life. In the context of a Jesus who has risen and is alive today, what I've seen happen in my life are not mere coincidences, but evidence that he is alive. I would just invite the musicians to come up as we have a moment of silence to just think about what I've shared. You know, today I've attempted to present to you hopefully truths, logic, that you can place your faith on. The evidence of God's hand in creation, the evidence of our struggles, the chaos in our lives, Jesus paying the price, and the evidence of Jesus being alive. You know, some a philosopher said that we all live lives of quiet desperation. We live lives of quiet frustration. Deep down inside, a lot of us believe and aspire to so much more. We believe there is so much more to our purpose, to our work, to our relationships. But there's always desperation and frustration because it is not like that in reality. We are left wondering often, is my life just one big accident? Is our mere existence to eat, drink, be merry, <clears throat> for tomorrow we die? I want to share with you all my heart that you and your life is not one random, unplanned, purposeless existence. The Bible says God has planted eternity in the human heart. That is the reason for your restlessness. 
deep down, we know, if you're honest with yourself, deep down you know, there is so much more than the here and now. It cannot just be like this. And Jesus reaches out today to us in our frustration and desperation. Wow! We were yet sinners. He died for us. While we were still helpless, He paid the price. We don't have to be good to come to Jesus. In fact, the only thing that qualifies us to come to Jesus is if we don't feel good. Only Jesus can turn something as ugly as a cross, an object of torture, cruel execution. Only Jesus can turn that into such a thing of beauty, of hope, that people even wear around their necks as a necklace nowadays. I would just request us to just close our eyes, process what has been said today, and I want to give you an invitation. are closed would you make a judgment call today based on what has been shared would you make a judgment call today and say Jesus I want to place my faith in you today based on what I know and I want to see where this leads me if you want to make that judgment call today while all eyes are closed can I invite you to raise your right hand is there anyone? Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Anyone else? You say, God, based on the, the, the facts, the, the truths that have been presented today, I make a judgment call. And I, I want to see where this leads me. Anyone else besides the hands that have been raised? I'll just give you one more minute to process. It is between you and God. You're not raising your hands for me, for your friend. It is about yourself. raise your right hand and say God I want to make a judgment call today I want to believe in you I don't have perfect knowledge but I have enough to place my faith on and I want to see where it leads me the second invitation I want to make is to those who are not yet ready to make that judgment call but you say I want to find out more I want to find out more. Is there anyone who says, I want to find out more. I want to discover more. I want someone to help me discover Jesus and these truths. If that is you, you can also raise your right hand. Anyone? I want to find out more about Jesus.
last but not least, I want to extend an invitation to those who have believed but sense that they have strayed away from God. And today you say, Jesus, I want to come back. Simple as that. Jesus, I want to come back. If that is you, if you raise your hand, we want to pray with you and for you. Is that yes? I see the hand. Jesus, I want to come back to you. if I can invite everybody to rise and um, if you want to talk to me more or talk to someone like your friend or, or someone else in the church more after the service you can come to the front I'm more than happy to share with you more um, and for those of you who raise your hand I want you to tell your friend or your neighbor that hey I raised my hand and we will take you from there okay I want, I want to pray a prayer of blessing for you I thank you for staying so patient and uh, lunch is on the way so we're very happy we can now uh, pray and give thanks to God Jesus we thank you that Lord you are not a fairy tale you are not a myth you are real and Father we thank you for your presence today we thank you for the hope that you represent we thank you that Lord you are not a God who is distant and you need us to do good works to score points with you because we could never do that, Lord. We were drowning. There was no way we could do that. We thank you that, Lord, in our helplessness, you came and paid the price because only you can pay the price. We thank you that, Lord, today you show us, you demonstrate to the world that you are not only a powerful God, but you are a loving God. That, Lord, in your presence, there is fullness of joy, in your presence there is peace so i pray the peace of the lord to guard every heart and every mind here father we pray that you continue to speak into the lives of all of us continue to show us the finger of god the hand of god the presence of god in our lives that one day lord we will come to that that point of daring to place our faith in you lord we thank you for the food we thank you that lord all good things come from you we thank you and pray that Lord you bless it to our bodies. In Jesus' name. Amen. Blessing the Lord.